name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today we celebrate Pentecost as we conclude the celebration of Easter that began eight weeks ago. It's fitting that we conclude the celebration of Easter with Pentecost, not just because it is the biblical episode that fulfills the immediate promise of Christ, that he would send the Holy Spirit upon his return to the Father, but rather because the descent of the Holy Spirit completed the grand arc of redemption that repaired the crumbling of the order of creation that began in Genesis. Consider five elements from the beginning of the Bible. First, creation itself. God, the unmoved mover, created the universe, the world, and all living things in an act of uncompelled love. In this prelapsarian moment, all created things, including Adam and Eve, existed in their most perfect natural harmony with the most holy trinity. And then the fall. Adam and, Un- Adam and Eve unleashed the reign of sin by their original act of disobedience to God's command. They ate the forbidden fruit, the lowly flesh that brings the curse of death into the world. And then the murder of Abel. Through Cain, mankind discovered the wicked power to destroy the life of another human being, the life that is the crown of creation, being formed in the image and likeness of God. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. And then the flood. Here, the sin of mankind reaches such a pinnacle that God floods his very creation, destroying all but a remnant. This shows us clearly that the wages of sin is death. Fifth, the Tower of Babel. Here, man grew so arrogant in his own perceived power that he attempted to build a tower straight up into the heavens. In response, our Lord scattered and divided the peoples by giving them different languages, rendering them incapable of this kind of collective hubris. But then in the New Testament, we receive a counter-narrative, exactly key to those five episodes of progressive downfall portrayed in Genesis. First, the incarnation. In Genesis, God created the world, making it good, though not without the potential of falling into sin. Yet in the birth of Christ, God does one better. In the incarnation, he actually unites himself to humanity in a way that existed, in an even closer way than it existed even in the Garden of Eden. Now, in the person of Jesus, God and humanity are united as one. Second, the crucifixion. In the fall, Adam and Eve, by their disobedience, tasted the fruit of the tree that brings the reign of sin and death. But on the cross, a metaphorical tree of sorts, Christ showed his unending obedience to the Father that overcomes the reign of sin. The fruit of that tree, the Eucharist, is the food that points us to the everlasting life of heaven. And third, the resurrection. When Cain murdered Abel, the true depravity of the fall was made manifest. Cain had the destructive power to take the life even of his own brother. And Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, showing the potential of death to lead to an endless cycle of violence. In the resurrection, Christ overcame that sting of death. Rather than crying out for vengeance, Christ's blood is offered for the salvation of even those responsible for his death. By this redemptive act, Christ shows that those who believe in him 
no longer need to fear death, even violent death or murder, because we can rise from the grave to a new and more glorious state. And fourth, the ascension. In the waters of the flood, the earth all but swallowed up mankind, showing the permanent damnation that is wrought by unrepentant sin. Yet in the ascension, Christ shows us that the ultimate destiny of the Christian is not to be swallowed up by this world, which is passing away. But it shows us rather that we can ascend to the glory of God's heavenly kingdom. And finally, Pentecost. In the account of the tower, God divided the people into nations by giving them mutually unintelligible languages. But in the culmination of the new covenant, God reveals the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who gives the disciples the power to speak in every tongue. Those broken pieces of humanity now have the potential to be put back together in a, un- in a new unity formed by faith in Christ. This last step, Pentecost, which we celebrate today, is especially important because it points us to the universal calling of the Christian faith. Christ died for all, and so his message is meant to be spread to all. The gift of speaking in tongues, in effect, jump-started the church, cementing her reality, not merely as a sect of Judaism, but rather as the font of salvation for all the world. Christianity is not meant to merely heal the rift between God and man, but also the rift between men that are the further fruits of our sinful downfall. Our faith should be a powerful spur to a life lived in the Spirit. As St. Paul describes it, a life characterized by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The five key elements of the New Testament that I just described, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and Pentecost, are a counter-narrative to creation's descent into sin that is described for us so vividly in Genesis. Today, blessed by a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we might ask that we as Christians serve as a living counter-narrative to the division and discord that haunts our world showing the world that there is a new and more excellent way in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.